Welcome to the Drive Able podcast, where we discuss all things about driving and safer community transport for people with disabilities and medical conditions. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you go back to the last episode. We've recorded quite a few now and we've got a bit of a back catalogue. If you have any feedback, make sure you let us know through our podcast platform on Facebook. Just search Drive-Able Podcast. G'day everyone, this is a very exciting interview today, back again for another one. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with Liesl Tesh. Liesl Tesh is a gold medalist wheelchair athlete in basketball from the London Paralympic Games, so uh, less than 10 years ago. And now she's the state a Labour political member for Gosford in New South Wales. Um, she was around way before the NDIS days. She's pretty old school and um, she's got a lot of great stories to tell about those days. Um, and from her, and a lot of adventures all around the world from her athletic past. Um, and now she basically focuses on, on using that experience to help a local community as a local politician in Gosford, uh, which is uh, in New South Wales, about an hour and a half north of Sydney. Um, I have actually personally worked with her in another capacity that I work with charities um, up on the Central Coast near where Lisa works, and I've met her before. And, um, and I really am excited to talk to her because she's a wonderful, passionate lady. She's got a great heart. She's got a, a great attitude. And um, yeah, uh, so Brad, are you ready for it? Yeah, mate, I can't wait for this one. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Driving is something many take for granted, but when someone has altered ability, then driving or getting out and about in your own car can be challenging. Driving with a disability doesn't mean you have to drive an old clapped out car with farm-like machinery and relying on a wheelchair doesn't mean waiting for hours and then being in the back of a maxi access cab getting car sick. The Drivable podcast is designed to introduce and explore driving aids for people with disabilities, vehicle modifications, the NDIS, research, medical guidelines, driving techniques and much much more. The Drivable Podcast is to help you be informed and be in control of your own independence so you can experience freedom through driving safely and reliably. I'm Ali and with me is Brad and together we have over 30 years of experience in disability and driving. Enough of the intros, let's get into it. Okay, welcome. In this episode, we're speaking with Liesl Tesh. Thanks for joining us, Liesl. Let's just kick off first by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your disability what it actually is and how you got to that point and how you got there. <laughs> g'day, g'day. Nice to meet you both or chat with you both. My name's Liesl Tesh. I'm currently the Member member of Parliament for Gosford. I'm also a seven-time Paralympian, but as a kid, I was an able-bodied kid. I had a bicycle crash when I was 19 and broke my back. I was found by an older lady whose daughter was a nurse who said to me straight away, is there any tingling in your hands or feet? And I said, yes. It's, and she said, spinal cord injury. So I wasn't moved. I was choppered down to Sydney and I was in hospital in bed for two months, in hospital for three months in total. But after about six weeks, I started to get some feeling initially and then movement back in my legs. And so I'm quite an incomplete paraplegic. I use a wheelchair for long distances and walk short distances. I live with lots of nerve pain and... I have a great time, regardless of everything else. So, yeah, I wear ankle foot orthotics um, and use a wheelchair to get around, but I can walk not overly well, so I'm up and down and out. And as I get older, the pressure on my shoulders increases, so I'm doing everything I can to preserve my mobility to live an active and healthy long life. That sounds pretty exciting. I've got a couple of questions about some of the things you've just mentioned there. You've got uh, AFOs, ankle foot orthotics. Yep. Um, 
what type of ones do you have? Are they hinged? Are they static? Are they, what type of AFOs do you have? They're static. They're static. They're made by Corthotics in Sydney. So I've got a strap around my ankle and a strap around under my knee and they're completely fixed in place. I've got quite large deformation of my ankles. So they hold my feet as flat as we possibly can. I then have custom made shoes to wrap around them to try and put it because my ankles deformed to try and keep a flat base so I've got some balance through my feet there and keep my feet in place. So the ankle ankle movements you don't have what I don't have dorsiflexion, no. flexion. <laughs> no, I don't have. Yeah. yeah, and so and my plantar flexion in particular, oh, both of them is not very good at all. So my hip abductors are also weak, and my knees are weak as well. Yeah. So when you do your walking, you have to yep. compensate for that a bit by some larger knee and hip movements to be able yeah to so it's a really wadly wavy gait that uses up a lot of energy and isn't very efficient but i'm lucky that i could actually get up because i have got some like a connection from my brain to those yeah. various muscle groups and lots of compensation around that yep yeah right and i think also because i've been a paralympian i've always had it's always been healthy body healthy mind so i've worked really hard to keep the muscles that I do have control of as functional and as high functioning as possible. And I'm pretty convinced that if I didn't do the sport with all the balance and, and physical training, I wouldn't be anywhere near as active as what I am now or as mobile as what I am now. And I think also a lot of people with my disability would have sat in the chair and, and I do know lots of people, not lots, but people with my disability have sat in the chair and chosen not to do the struggle of walking. Mm. Well, can we talk about your sport then? Um, Absolutely. <laughs> Ali and I are both uh, sports nuts. Um, so can you give us um, your sporting history then? So as an able kid, I was that kid in class who got into any sport, even if I didn't know the rules, to get out of class and be sporty. Um, and basketball was probably my, or I started with netball. And then once I was introduced to basketball, I said to, I came home and said to mum, I'm quitting netball, I'm going to basketball. And so I played rep basketball through school and also representative basketball at uni. So after I broke my back and I sailed every afternoon at school, I rode my mountain bike that I crashed everywhere because we were poor and we didn't have, like, we had the crappiest car and my parents didn't drive us anywhere, so we just had to do what we could. Um, but then when I broke my back, they to Lisa 09 and Nick Morozov, and I remember it clear as day, and I was flat on my back in bed. I wasn't allowed to put my head up, came in and said to me, would you like to try wheelchair basketball? And in 1988, no one even knew what Paralympics was. And I remember clear as day when then once I was sitting up, I went out to the stadium in Mount Druitt where you get killed with knives and stones, when I ended up teaching and fell in love with the place and worked there for five years. But I went into the wheelchair sports stadium, which was the Kevin Betts Stadium out at Mount Druitt, and there were people in wheelchairs who were going fast and having fun and they had jobs and cars, lives. They worked, they had boyfriends, girlfriends, you know, and to me these weren't people with disabilities. These were people just living their best lives and I became part of that world with sport. And so... Because of my basketball background, a lot of time also when people have catastrophic injuries, they start again as a wheelchair user at the under six because they have to learn the rules of the game as well as the techniques of their disability and ability. Whereas because I already knew the rules of wheelchair basketball, I came in and was selected pretty much straight away to get into with the New South Wales girls. We played in the National Men's League because there wasn't a women's league. We went on as women to set up. National Women's Wheelchair Basketball League, which still exists today. Mm, yeah. And I competed in 
Barcelona, we came seventh. Atlanta, we came fourth. Sydney, second. Athens, second. And Beijing, we got a bronze. But then I'd been living and playing professionally in the men's leagues in Europe. So I lived in Europe. I played professionally in Madrid for a season in Sardinia in Italy for three seasons and a season in Paris in the men's league while setting up and coaching women's teams at the same time. And I came home and I did the Sydney to Hobart Yacht Race and I'd sailed all my life as a kid and I never imagined sailing as a Paralympian, but one of the Paralympic sailors saw the television show, invited me to go for a sail. I gave up basketball and Dan Fitzgibbon, who's an amazing sailor, quadriplegic guy who had an accident after an able-bodied yacht race became a quadriplegic. Dan and I sailed in London and Rio and won gold at both. Congrats. Oh, <laughs> that is, uh, I've got chills. Yeah, that's an awesome story. Oh, yeah, really so cool. we've got so many been... questions about that, but we've got to talk about driving. <laughs> I know, there's loads of stories. There's a million stories. Driving, schmiving, you know. <laughs> but did you, did you, um, were you actually driving in those that before you had the accident, or was it just always because, as you said, you guys um, didn't have a great car or anything like that? So, was it always yeah. pedal power as well? Or? It was always pedal power. So, driving wasn't part of my repertoire. I had my accident when I was 19, and still driving wasn't a priority because that's. I had people drive me places. I, I relied on some public transport, but then I had a, a great girlfriend, Louise Deed, who drove me to uni when I, after I came home and went back to uni. So it wasn't for a couple more years that sort of driving came onto my radar and there was... So why did it come onto your radar then? Oh, I think probably I was 21 when I got my licence, so I don't know. I didn't need it. I didn't need it. My family didn't prioritise the kid getting it. wasn't the days when the kids got a car because it wasn't a spare car and the kids didn't have a car and definitely not in my family. Um, so it was just something that I think through the Commonwealth Rehabilitation Service and my rehab, they said, you want to learn to drive. And initially I had no interest, but then it came through there and there were some lessons. Actually, there wasn't lessons provided, but they helped me do the rigmarole to get the test. Yeah, so, mm. so the, some of the other interviews that we've had with Matt and, and so forth, um, they've got their licence back through the rehab hospital and yep. in those early stages. So your story is a little bit different. You've returned home and, yep. uh, and then you've got some assistance through pre-NDIS days. How, what yep. assistance did you get? Can you just clarify for so us? So Commonwealth Rehab, now that I think about it, there was actually two driving lessons in there. So I took myself out of hospital because I wanted to go back to uni. They wanted me to stay there. So maybe if I stayed in the hospital environment, that would have been part of the whole rehab mm. scenario. Yeah, okay. But I really wanted to go back to uni and hospital was Metro Sydney and I was regional. So I just went home and went back to uni. So there was two lessons as well. And then there was the test. And I actually went to the test and the guy, and I failed because I was a hopeless driver, nothing to do with my disability. And the guy actually said to me, when I came back for the next test, he said, have you hurt yourself since last time? I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> it was like this last time. And so then I was put through a one hour test and passed my test the second time around. Right. So how, how do you drive? Let's get into that. What's, what does driving look like to you compared to maybe some other people, able-bodied people? Well, I'm, I'm an able-bodied person when I drive, yeah. so I use my feet to drive. So yep. I use my feet. I, we only had a manual car, so there was not an option about learning with an automatic car. And so I, <laughs> rather than yeah. use my ankles, rather than use my ankles, I've always just done what I could do and I've mainly driven through my knees and it's just part of my driving regime and I passed my test 
using the technique that I had, which is I think the technique I've had to use my whole life. So I have no additional assistance or any modifications in my car. We do, get, do you do a lot of driving now? I do a lot of driving. Mate, I do way more driving than I want to be doing. I try oh, to schedule okay. meetings. So I'm in the office all day or out and about. But no, I, I'm across the electric every single day in my role. Yep. Yeah, okay. So driving is a pretty big part of the life now. Absolutely, yep. And I've just got, a, like as I said, car with no mods. My only requirement, when the bushfires came, I went crazy. And I'm like, as a community leader, there's no investment in electric vehicles. And I waited till the Toyota Corolla, which is an affordable vehicle, came with a space in the back to put my wheelchair in without taking it apart. So I chuck my wheelchair in my car and then I waddle around and sit down and drive off. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Okay. So we get this question all the time. Can I drive with my orthotics? Yeah. Yep. We uh, interviewed Qua right back in episode one, and he drives with his um, lower leg uh, prosthetic. So he's got an yep. amputation uh, yep. just below the knee and, and drives with it, or just above the knee, I should say, and drives with his prosthetic on the pedals. So yep. we get this question all the time. A lot of people just believe that because their ankle's not moving or they've got orthotics or prosthetics on their lower limbs that they can't drive uh, pedals but you and choir have both shown <laughs> it is it is highly possible absolutely and I mean I've got great movement through my thighs and it's just it's also with me this is my expectation of what I can do and I've always done it like I've done it from the beginning I didn't doubt my capacity to be able to do it I think possibly the oversight for people with disabilities in their driving test wasn't as stringent as what it is there wasn't the focus but I went in there I didn't fail my test because I had a disability. I failed my test because I was a hopeless driver at the beginning. But I've got my orthotics on and I drive sometimes with my orthotics on and sometimes with my orthotics off because my orthotics also give me a whole bunch of nerve pain. So the press down and I've got enough sensation, like I know where my feet are. Yeah. Um, so the that was press down. That's my next question. So have you got, you've got sensation on the sole of your foot? That's an interesting question. It's... My sensation has become normal. Okay. So my injury was 30 years ago, 30 years plus, and what I perceive is what I have, and it's my normal sensation. So I... You've adapted, uh, basically, feet, evolved. I've, say that again, Ali. So you almost evolved, basically, to... Yeah, I'm, I'm the human that I am now, and yeah. my sensation relative to your sensation are two different things, and this is my normal. So it's not the same sensation as scratching my palm, and when I've cut my ankle with glass, I didn't know that I'd cut my ankle, but and I my proprioception, which is my ability to know where my feet are without seeing them, is not great in the dark. But with my body, I know that I can do the acceleration that I need to do and all the braking I need to do. And I've got the, I think probably as a sports person, my reaction time is good and I move my foot from the brake to the accelerator. I'm in an automatic car now, but the same when I had a manual car, you just you know your body well enough to be able to do what your body needs to do to drive a car and mate i've got a pretty decent driving record that's nothing to do with my ability my speeding ticket is not to do with my disability i can assure you of that. <laughs> uh, we have um people wonder about well if i can't so i'll start that sentence again i went off on a tangent Anyway, the feeling in your foot, you actually can have yeah. multiple elements in the car give you other parts of feedback. If you're pressing too hard, 
you're going to get feedback straight away because the speed goes up and the engine starts to rev. Yep. So you can start to use other sensors in your body and, and your body starts to adapt to those other sensors, whether it's inertia, whether it's G-forces, whether it's the sounds in the car as well. So it's not just the sensation in the bottom of the foot. There's, there's oh, other sensors absolutely going not the sensation. I think as an athlete as well, I've trained myself to improve my peripheral vision. So there's, I use all sorts of different signals coming in to give me the feedback I need to be able to do whatever I need to do in life, which includes driving. So yeah, the sound of the car. Um, and also knowing where my knee is. Mm -hmm. And then, like, I just think, like, any able-bodied driver, it's, like, it's actually really interesting chatting with you guys and analysing this because it's something that I don't even think about. It's like you get in the car and then you're at the destination and hands, legs, whatever it is. And for me, it's that's just more automatically what I do with my legs and I drive. Like, there's no doubt about it. And I damn well need to drive. And people think because I'm a member of parliament, I've got a driver. Nothing to do with my disability. It'd be lovely. I could get more work done if I had a driver, but I drive myself everywhere. On you. you think yeah. um do you think also because of the like uh, the being one from a regional area and also where you were in a time where like did you have things like OTs and all that kind of stuff back then or did you just get told figure it out and you kind of had to just figure it out like and because yeah, you were also no, in the, regional the, yeah the OTs are in hospital and my rehab I used to go to this rehab pool with pensioners and telling me to pick up marbles between my toes and lift them up to my hands it's like oh like the pensioners could move their toes but mine toes definitely still can't move very well so it was just improvise and work out the solutions I needed to for myself and get it done yeah okay and also you, I think because I was a family, I was from a family about we didn't have much. We just had to do what we could. So I just always learned just to do what I could with what I've got. And that's what I did when it came yeah. to driving as well. So with the with the um, uh, orthotics and those things that you've got on your, your legs, are they have they evolved since that time? Has new technology come out, new products or anything like that that you've gone, oh, yeah, this is much better? Have you had, I guess, any kind of, therapist assessment since that time and thought oh, well what i what better. i can absolutely recommend is when i left the hospital my ankle foot orthotics were so uncomfortable and gave me blisters that i chucked them in the cupboard and didn't wear them which is why i've got the deformation i've got now so it's only as i've got older and i needed to have them to wrap around me to be able to get back to a decent state of waddling along that i've picked up the orthotics again so my advice to anybody out there as far as mobility solutions if you get the opportunity for orthotics say you have the right to have them fit you really well so they're functional and useful and it takes a long time and it takes a lot of providers to work through to get the product you need it also takes a lot of perseverance i think on my behalf to demand the quality resources that allow me to live the lifestyle that I want to live, which includes not just my orthotics, but also my custom-made shoes that fit around them to give me the mobility that I want mm. and Actually, the comfort good, that I good, need. Good little uh, segue, I guess, to talk a little bit about NDIS um, because that's what NDIS and I guess all of the, and a big theme of what we talk about with this podcast is because you've got NDIS now, you've got a lot more, people on the market that are selling yep. products. You've got a lot more therapists. You've got a lot more stuff. So what we try and encourage people is go and keep trying. Don't, don't just don't compromise because you don't have to, you know, like, like um, people like Liesl have compromised and they've kind of, they've, they've, um, they've been the trailblazers. So you guys don't have to do that, you know, and, and keep trying. Like if you need to go back for 10 trials, do it, you know, until you find something that works. 
Oh, absolutely. And like I had a while with, and it takes, it does take a time. Like I'm trying to be a member of parliament. I don't have time to stuff around with this. Or as a teacher, I used to have to take days off all the time to deal with my orthotis, which was an absolute pain in the ass. But when it gives you, sorry, an absolute pain in the butt. But when it gives you, when it gives you a quality of life, like it's horrible because you feel more disabled because you're taking time out of being a participating member of society because of your mobility. But if it means that you can be more able and more included and deal with no pain or whatever you need to, it's worth the perseverance to do it. I had a time when I was, there was a guy who was doing carbon fiber orthotics who was flying up from Melbourne and I was working him with him for a while. And the time, because he wasn't available, it, you know what, this is too hard. I need to go back and I need to work with the people who are here, who have got the time to work into my schedule and push them to be everything I need them to be. And I also get scared. My orthotist is amazing. He's an older gentleman, but working with his new staff to make sure that people can take over from him when he retires is also really important to me because if I don't have my orthotics right, my nerve pain is exacerbated out of this world and I can't participate in society. And then the other frustrating thing is get it right because then when you don't, like I remember waking up and there's a pressure sore and like my sister said, Lisa, what have you done? I'm like, Oh, my goodness. So all of a sudden, and I didn't know it was there because I couldn't feel, all of a sudden I've got four weeks not mobilising out of my chair at all because I can't put, like, because I couldn't because of the pressure sore. It's like, oh, my goodness. So taking your time to get it right and taking the time to look after yourself and making sure your equipment is right so they don't give you a pressure sore is super, super, super crucial. Mm, yeah, that's a, a golden words right there, I think. I just want to that way. I want to segue into um, driving controls. We know that you don't have driving controls, but the same story, and that's why we've put this podcast out there. When it comes to modifications actually in the vehicle, you don't have to put up with okay products um, or products that just get you from A to B. You want products that are going to look after you and look after shoulders, look after other, um, your limbs. So you can actually drive for a long time into the future. Absolutely. And having in, the, in my other part of my background, which I didn't speak about before, as a geography teacher prior to being the MP, I've loved travelling in developing countries. And I've also done quite a bit of aid work using sport as a tool for social change. So I've worked with lots of people with disabilities in developing nations. And one of my clear memories is in Sarajevo just after the war where people because just frightening were injured by bombs coming through their windows and then trapped in hospital six months during the war but then come out and having to improvise because they don't have the NDIS they don't have this choice and control and they don't have these qualified service providers this woman had was using some sort of chainsaw chain mechanism for her accelerator on the car and then I've also been in Italy where someone who's used a broomstick literally because their hand controls weren't working I've tried lots of different people's hand controls in their cars in Australia which actually made it really good for me when I was living in Italy and I'm driving down the expressway the Calatera um, whatever it was called but the hand controls my car I actually reached down I picked up the accelerator and I held it up to my teammate Jumpy who was sitting beside me I, and I didn't know the word I said a charity tori and Jumpy looked at me but then I just cruised onto the hand controls and I kept driving because it was a car a team car and it had hand controls it was this little press thing that was around the steering wheel so traveling right. around the world I've seen loads of different choices that are available but yeah I think one of the other things is to really say look after your shoulders 
now so you're not straining yourself now because these things are going to be your your legs and even more important than your legs into the future so absolutely spend some time looking at all the different products on the market spend some time with the people who are fitting and designing the products especially linked to you because it's your shoulders and anything of your body that's working you need to keep it working as long and as well as you possibly can yeah and also with with the ndis um what i'll just quickly mention this because we're involved in that in our other companies um because of the ndis and the business opportunity every quote unquote man and his dog is going out and bringing these products from overseas so you actually have a lot of choice so all these things that you've seen are now available here like that ring from italy um like i know of a company that sells that here you know and um and so it take advantage of it as a community you know look at all the products and 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 look at everything because it's all here now you know it's great absolutely although the inner part of me also looks at australian jobs and says definitely if there's people doing it in australia let's work with them to get their innovation and their resources and their products as good as we possibly can because that means employment in australia so if you do have a choice over an aussie company i know from a wheelchair manufacturer's point of view like the, the, the more we work with our Aussie companies, the best our local products are going to be and the more people we get to be employed in Australia. <laughs> that's your MP side coming out. Um, yeah, that's my, that's, and that's, like I get so cross when, when the government buys all these huge resources from overseas, but I've got to role model that as a local as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, Did we you actually, I, I was going to ask one thing. Sorry, Brad, I keep going off. <laughs> but I just thought of this. Um, so... Have you ever met, um, so that we've got a guy that who's a friend of ours, his name is Danny, and um, he's from Mobility Plus down in Victoria. And from what I understand, he was one of the first guys in the whole wheelchair basketball scene. And um, did you work with him at any time? I know, I know Danny, but as a, um, a Sydney or as a Central Coast person or a Newcastle person using Sydney wheelchair manufacturers, Mogo Wheelchairs in Sydney was set up by a guy who was one of my coaches and mentors at the beginning, whose name oh, is cool. Michael Callahan. And also Errol Hyde was working with Mobility Plus and then Nick Morozov came along. So we've had lots of local Aussies set up wheelchair manufacturing and also people with disabilities who own companies who also provide great insight because they offer lived experience, which makes a huge difference. And I must say it really is great to deal with people who live with a disability because they've got, a, I think, a different understanding. But I think as the NDIS evolves, lots of suppliers like you guys are getting your understandings improving as people who don't live with these products every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, Brad. Want to just, yeah, it's my turn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I, I wanted to touch on your life as an MP. Um, yep. Is there elements about your job role uh, which are impacted by by your disability at all, or is it accommodating, or is it how how is it how has it helped it's, you or disadvantaged you? Well, I think it's really important that we have people with disabilities in the parliament. I'm part of Commonwealth parliamentarians with disabilities, trying to encourage parliaments around the world to be more inclusive. We've got a disability inclusion plan at the New South Wales Parliament, and I've pushed to make my workplace accessible. When I first moved in there, a man looked down his nose and said, this is the oldest parliament in Australia. And I said, but look, that woman's sitting in a chair over there, and I wasn't talking about myself. Um, So pushing to get ramps, but it's also challenging. I'm the member for Gosford, and when we when I pushed to get access to the Harbour Bridge when the Invictus Games were coming, some of the people in my electorate said, but that's not for the people of Gosford. So I think working in the background for inclusion for all and having a voice of disability in the New South Wales Parliament is really important and is a privilege to be in there because I know despite 
the fact I'm working for the people of Gosford, we all come with very different backgrounds and there's 93 of us in the Legislative Assembly in New South Wales that contribute our passion and our drive to make New South Wales a better place and one of them for me is definitely about inclusion for all and access to as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, your, your story is a um, perfect example of what happens if you, if you have access to stuff and include, included in um, activities, you, you can have a very successful, um, you know, uh, life. So it's, it's good. It's Absolutely. Answer. And I think it's really the emphasis is about on being active, being included and being able and having the equipment behind the scenes. So that doesn't consume me. It's there, but I can be active and included and I'm able because of my good choice and work with my providers to make sure my equipment is correct. Yeah, I like, I like what you said, that thing about the equipment being in the background. That's an awesome um, observation because you're, you're highlighting the person is still, you are still you. You know, the equipment is the support. You can't, you can't, um, you know, you, you've got to celebrate you and, um, and the equipment is just there to, you know, help you function in this society that we've created for ourselves. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm me and I'm my heart and I'm on my brain and I've got the equipment allows me to function, but it's actually me you've got. It's not the equipment that's behind me. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> and but, but at the same time, spending the time to make sure that equipment allows you to be all of that is really important. It's time consuming. It's a pain in the neck because I want to be me all the time, but I've got to make sure the equipment's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I, think, cool. I think we should. Uh, I think we should wind it up on that. That's a great. Yeah, one. yeah. We know. We know you're on a time <laughs> schedule. You're a parliament yeah. uh, politician. We're really, really uh, um, privileged to have you come on, even for this short period of time. So, really, thank you. Absolutely, very much. and and to, to your listeners, please feel free to reach out to me if you do have a voice that needs to be heard in the New South Wales Parliament, because I do represent the people of New South Wales, and our voices need to be heard in that Parliament. And I'll continue to fight to make sure everything's right. And I'm proud to be Labor which are the pity, the party that saw the need for the NDIS in the first place. So to yeah, me, yeah. joining it, joining that political party with the policy that is right is also me living true to my values to contribute to a greater Australia. And I'll, I'll vouch for that on a personal level because we've worked with Lisa with, our, with another hat and um, she's uh, super passionate and uh, if, if her, <laughs> she will make sure your voice is heard, that's for sure. So, uh, so <laughs> thank you awesome. so much and thank you for the work that you're doing to raise awareness and making sure that people live with absolute ability. So, um, so, so, Brad, you want to ask the last question? Yeah, no, we're not. We're not going to let you get away without doing this question, even if you are an MP and high up there. Um, <laughs> cars, cars, we ask everybody that does an interview. Cars are more than getting from A to B. Um, what have you used your car, or how do you use your car uniquely to be able to facilitate your life? So, we've had stories about uh, Alice uh, using his car as a as a boat to pull somebody long surfing. We've had other people tell us about games that they play in their car, other people using it for big adventures. What have you used your car for? Or how do you use your car that other people might not know about? I think anybody who knows me quite well knows that the car that I own is a TARDIS. It's always a small hatchback because it's got to be environmentally sound, but that hatchback can fit basically a world of people. I can fit five wheelchairs and three people into my car if I need to get anywhere. <laughs> and even, even getting chairs, like my, my sports chair designed so I can take the back wheel off so I can fit more things into places. So I think fitting every single thing and then 
I've gone from fitting all those sports wheelchairs in the back of my car and now it's core flutes, which are the posters with your face on and all the election equipment in there as well. So I've spent my whole life packing stuff into this car for huge adventures and then I get to the destination and it's like this magic box of a million squillion things coming out and there's always sticky tape there's always whatever you need mate it's in the back of my car picnic blankets you name it we could there's a set of glasses in a box if need be champagne glasses that have been there for years that pop out at the appropriate occasion just when you need it it's like a clown car but uh, you've got so many other things in there instead of clowns very good thank you That's so awesome. much for your time today it's been absolutely fantastic um, I, I've got a whole heap of other questions, but we will let you get on with your day. Uh, no, and absolutely. And driving with independence is super important. Persevere because your independence and your ability to live the life you want to live are the most important things to you. All right, cool. Thanks very much for that. That's a Thank great you. way to sign off. <laughs> All right, All right, so as we say in every episode, uh, if you've got any queries uh, about what you can do, and what will work for you. Make sure that you get in contact with your local OT or mobility dealer and set yourself up with a trial. Trials really do, as we say in every episode, put you in the driver's seat. Thanks very much for tuning in and thank you very much. Thanks very much. Thanks, Liesl. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Drive Able podcast with Brad Williams and Ali Akbarian. If you like what you've heard, make sure you like, rate and subscribe really does make a massive difference if you or anyone you know would like to share a story about driving with a disability or you would like to get in contact find the show notes or find the resources mentioned in this episode you can find us on facebook just search at drive able podcast for more information